Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We certainly do talk about songs, songs with our names in them and many other names. Welcome back to episode three of our first name basis season. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here with non-question Mark, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. A song by any other name would sound as sweet. I mean, <laughs> would it? <laughs> we we're really getting into the weeds here in episode three. It's not as dense as episode four, I wouldn't say, but we are continuing in our quest to identify the most iconic song with a name slash about a name in pop music. We've got another 10 songs this week that we are up and down voting. Mark, can you tell us which songs we're contemplating and how that's going to work in terms of scoring? I certainly can. So for each of these 10 songs today, we are making the simple decision of do we think that they should move to the next round or not? So that means that Sarah and I have both selected five songs that we feel should get a wave through. The patrons at patreon.com slash Mastis have also voted on this batch of songs and their top five vote getters will get their wave through. Now, here's what that means. For each song that I wave through to the next round, I will give it two points. The same is true for Sarah, and the same is true for the patrons. Songs that do not get waved through get zero points. That means a song can get a maximum of six points, and of course a minimum of a big fat goose egg. Here are the songs that will be contending for those points today. And at the end of this episode, the five songs that get the most cumulative points will get waved through to the next round. Here are the songs that are going to be competing to get ahead of the game, if you will. Ahead of the name game. Mandy by Barry Manilow. Mary Mary by Run DMC. Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. Mickey by Tony Basil, or Basil, depending on how you're feeling today. Mustang Sally by Wilson Pickett. My Sharona by The Knack. Oh Sherry by Steve Perry. Peggy Sue by Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Proud Mary by Take Your Pick, I Can Tina Turner, or Creedence Clearwater Revival, and Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. Sarah, it's an interesting group today. It it sure is. Uh, yeah, this was this was really a, a tough one. A lot of um, a lot of songs that I thought, you know, this is an automatic yes, and then there were too many of those and I had to rank them by number like I always do to force myself (laughs) to make decisions and then there were still like 10 number fives and I'm like god damn it anyway shall we uh begin with a uh, veteran of our moist fm season Mr. Barry Manilow Yes. So as I said this is Mandy we did as Sarah just mentioned speak about this song at length uh in our moist fm season But here's the thing. I'm going to reveal my ranking first, Sarah, as a way of setting up the clip. Oh, flipping the script. We've talked a lot about the criteria for what makes a song uh, appropriate for this particular season. What makes a song iconic in its connection to a name? Sometimes it's because that song can be sung to another name. Sometimes it's Uh because everyone with that name, you immediately uh, 
sing that song at them. So the following clip is the reason that I have passed this song through to the next round. Oh, Margie, you came and you found me a turkey <laughs> on my vacation away from worky. Such a good choice. Such a good choice. I mean, and we really didn't need the the actual song clip because this has become such an iconic part of the culture. I completely agree with your decision to clip that segment of uh, Simpson of Simpsoniana, which is itself yes. quite iconic in the Simpsons library. I struggled with these questions while being reminded, first of all, that this song is damp to a like uncomfortable. Dan Hill degree, <laughs> right? Who, by the way, is still crying. Like, I'm sure. Just, Dan Hill is crying right now. I know. Someone, some, like, visiting nurse is setting up a, um, <laughs> like, a banana bag to keep him hydrated. Um, <laughs> I also somehow never noticed, and I don't know if you have noticed this also, that the he's, like, getting real histrionic at the end, and then it kind of fades off abruptly, why does why yeah. did that happen? Was the song engineer like I am also uncomfortable? Let's leave this place. I don't. I don't it's like it. the vocals fade out. Right, he's like in the middle of a power note, and they're like, "Nope, bring it down." I yeah. got to be at lunch, and I'm not coming back. Yeah, it's like I love you. Uh, <laughs> whoa, okay. Like a little, a little respect for Mr. Manilow. Um, and also, this is it's a weird choice because in this period in pop music history songs were long they were like seven minute long ballads so why not let barry holler for a minute seriously um and but i in the end i had to conclude that this is iconic because mandy's hear it andy's annie's manny's nannies like anything even close margie so i did pass it through it was kind of close but you you got to do it. This is one of the first songs people name when you tell them the concept for this season. So totally. I also passed it through. What did our Patreon supporters decide? Well, they apparently are Simpsons fans as well because they also passed it through, meaning that Barry Manilow gets a straight six for Mandy. Mm-hmm. And uh, listeners, in case you don't recognize that Simpsons clip that we played a few minutes ago, That is from a season five episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets right up on the edge of having an affair with a co-worker at the power plant voiced by none other than Michelle Pfeiffer. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, Marge and Homer's marriage survives, as it always does. And uh, Mm -hmm. they're in bed in a hotel and... (laughs) March finds her room service turkey behind the bed and they eat it together. And it's just amazing. So <laughs> again, it, there are two songs, Sarah, that I will always associate with the Simpsons, perhaps before I associate them with their actual recordings. It's, this is one of them. And the other is the song Georgie girl. Although mm-hmm. in the Simpsons, it's Hey there, blimpy boy flying through the air. So fancy free. And then he breaks down sobbing. <laughs> 
For me, it's a spider pig, spider pig, <laughs> yes. does whatever a spider pig does. <laughs> yes, that's true as well. Okay, so Barry, we'll see you in our top 20, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, now from Barry to Mary Mary. I mean, like I did that. so many Mary songs. Yeah, and in fact, I think it's going to be challenging to say that any Mary song is the iconic Mary song. As we discussed in our patrons-only single that we released as the Amuz Bush for this season, because that was where we talked about Sarah McLaughlin's Mary. And mm-hmm. if you are not currently a Patreon patron, but you would like to hear that bonus episode, you can just join us at patreon.com slash Mastis, and we sure would love to have you. But um, Sarah, how well did you know... Mary Mary by Run DMC. Uh, extremely well. This was my number two overall in this section. Um, I know the Monkeys song written by the late Mike Nesmith, um, from which the core sample is taken. I know the Run DMC track extremely well. I think at this point in uh, hip hop history, this might be a um, lesser known or underappreciated Run DMC track that's for some reason not considered as iconic in their catalog i hack this song and the name within to the absolute limits of it its elasticity because asking anyone why they're bugging is just extremely emotionally satisfying to do in song and whenever i hear someone like that that Mary Mary show, whenever I hear it advertised, I immediately append why you buggin', even though it has nothing to do with this. Anyway, shall we hear a clip? Uh, yes, before I share my thoughts, I do actually need to hear Run DMC ask the most important question of all. It's true. Mary Mary, why you buggin'? Mary, Mary, I need your hugging. So many things to love about this. One, the fact that the person singing Mary, Mary is actually Mickey Dolan's because they sampled the beat, the monkey's song. Uh-huh. And put it in here. And Mike Nesmith is a credited songwriter on Mary Mary. So the Bunkies, man, they're always with us. Uh, but I agree with you that the simple joy of Mary Mary, why you bugging? You bugging. It, you're so right that it. I don't even actually know Run DMC that well. I don't know this song that well. But I have known that phrase for it feels like my whole life. Um, there's uh-huh. just something about it. I guess I might have heard it maybe once in 1988, and that's all it took for it to be stuck in my head. And what I will say to this is, listeners, if you don't know this song, but you just heard that clip, my guess is you will remember how that goes for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, and, I, I agree. And so even though the patrons did not pass this song through, Sarah, I did, because I just think it's exactly right for this season. Uh, I think that any song that is so flexible that you can do just about anything with it is uh, re- exactly what we're talking about. And I agree with you that asking someone why they're bugging is really helpful in a lot of situations. 
I think if I were ever in a really presidential is. debate, if I were ever in a presidential debate, I would probably just be that Joe Biden. Why you bugging? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is really, it is really flexible, and you do, as we've said, get these two songs in one. So if you would care to, if you sort of like voted for the monkeys version, you can also use that. Like when the dog is running around for no reason and doesn't seem to have a plan, it's like, Bearski, Bearski, where you going to? But also, why you bugging? Like, yeah. you know why he's bugging? He's a Pomeranian. That's what they do. But uh, yeah, this was, uh, like I said, my number two overall, and I am glad that you concurred. I had a feeling I was going to be on the um, on the uh, skinny limb with this one, but I'm glad we're together. I mean, I'm out here telling you I'm not bugging. And I will say this gently and with love. I would say that your dog is bugging at all times and doesn't know why. <laughs> yeah. Like even said, while he's asleep, this is yes. this is facts. You are correct. He's he's bugging because, as you said, it is it is in his nature to bug. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. Oh, so um, in our lead up to this season, we had our patrons vote on an enormous list of songs to help us winnow it down to 40. And I will admit, Sarah, that I was surprised that one of the 40 top vote getters from that early round was Janis Joplin's Me and Bobby McGee. But here yeah. we are. It is in the show. So for me... This is so connected to the name Bobby McGee that I would never associate it with someone named Bobby. If I met yep. a Bobby McGee, I would, of course, be like, oh, shit, do you have six minutes? Because I'm doing the extended version. But for any other Bobbies, I don't think I would ever associate this song with them. Although I am glad that Janis Joplin has found her way back on our show because she's obviously the best. Yeah, she is I have never cared for this song, and <gasps> I don't, um, yeah, I just, I think it's sloppy jam band bullshit, and it's also one of those things that, like, guitar girls in college, this is what they would sing with their, like, five rings on each finger, and I just don't, I no longer connect with this song as a as a consequence. Janice rules, this song is no longer for me. In my life, but I put that aside to to assess the iconography of it, and I'm with you, Bobby McGee's. Sure, um, a certain time in my life when you were sort of checking your watch, like how many more minutes must I pretend to be supportive of my friend learning to play this instrument? <laughs> One down. And to go. Uh, but yeah, I didn't pass this through and it was towards the bottom of my list in this episode. I will say, though, if you have not heard Dolly Parton's cover of Me and Bobby McGee, I would encourage you to give it a chance because she's so good. And she's got Chris Chris Christopherson, who wrote the song, on backup vocals. And it's really good. Right. Yeah, I like that version. This one is just a little... <clears throat> I don't know. Like, you know how certain artists, like other people, like attach to them and like that's the song that you hear a gazillion times when people are going through their Janis Joplin phase or whatever. Yes. Like this is that song. That and the um Mercedes Benz song. I'm just mm -hmm. like, nope. Like go deeper, people, because I can't hang out with you here. 
Anyway, what did the patrons do with with the song once it was in the top 40? They said no. So that's a zero huh. for me and Bobby McGee, but that's fine. I think the fact that it made it to the top 40 is accomplishment enough in these con in this context. Yeah. Now, I did not pull a clip of Tony Basil's Mickey, a number one hit, which is now, I just want to point out, incorrectly labeled on Spotify as Hey Mickey, and I am certain it's because of the algorithm and that simply typing Mickey brings up too many people named Mickey. Uh, (laughs) And so they've decided to pretend like the name of the song is Hey Mickey, but it is not. The name of the song is simply Mickey. We've all been alive long enough to know that that is true. Anyway, Sarah, for me, this was a no-brainer. Absolutely 100% yes. Mickey is what we're talking about here. It is a chant. It's an easy chant to remember. There are actually more people in the world named Mickey than one might expect. Uh, Obviously, one is going to sing this to them. Uh, It also fits perfectly with other names. And if you like anyone or anything, you can be like, oh, um, okay, like... uh, Lou, okay, Lou, your cat. Uh, hey, Lou, you so fine, you so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Lou, to, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if it perfectly scans. Great, all works. So, hey, Sarah, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Sarah, it's great. To me, obvious yes, no questions asked, moving forward. Uh, same, you don't need a clip. Uh, the fact that it was over the um, credits, clowning around and bring it on. Um, only endears it to me further. But yeah, this was my number one in this section. You don't need a clip and you don't need to explain why. Uh, It absolutely scans to anything, like you said. I have uh, known and worked with a woman named Mickey for many, many years. I, like, she has a germs tattoo, so I'm not trying to fuck with singing this to her ever, and I never will. But I always think of her uh, when I hear this song, because she's just not, she's not really that vibe and would kick anyone to death who sang this to her. I feel maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but also, I find that very sympathetic. With that said, it's so, uh, it's like just such a joy bomb to sing to a yes. person or pet and tell them that they're so fine. And then they can't really be as mad as, say, someone who was being serenaded with Sarah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> because it's like it's not that great of a song, but it just has this utterly confident energy in it and is from this era of the 80s where you could just do a lot of random, not that well-made shit. And be like, eh? And the culture was like, sure, fuck it. So, yeah, if yeah. you... If you have enough moxie, you can get away with a lot. And if you have yeah. a moxie and a good beat, great. Go all the way to number one, like Tony Basil did. Mm-hmm. I assume and I the just, patrons agreed. Oh, yes. Hands down. So that's also a straight six for Mickey. And I just, I've just i always thought, if you're only going to have one hit, let it be a hit of this caliber, frankly. That's just like happy and dumb and perfect and makes me think of cheerleaders. And of course they put it in Bring It On. I've, you know, I've never made this connection before, but of course they did because it's a cheerleader video. Yeah. I am so, Because the first time that I ever became aware of this song in a movie was in Wayne's World when Tia Carrera and, uh, well, whatever her character's name is, and Wayne are in the car singing it. So clearly many movies of the 90s understood the power of Mickey, as did all of us. So there uh-huh. we are. 
So, Sarah, what are your thoughts on Mustang Sally by Wilson Pickett? This one was complicated because this is one of those songs for me that I knew because of the commitments at first. Huh. (laughs) But with that said, like, that soundtrack in college was fucking everywhere, like it or not. And I actually did, like, every dorm room CD changer, Kids Ask Your Parents, had this in it somewhere, usually. And uh, this is one that I have sung to people and to cars, even though it is very much not about cars, because it's so singable. But I don't, like, if I met a Sally, I'm not sure I would associate that, I wouldn't be like, oh, like the song. Like, I'm just not sure I would. This just missed the cut for me, spoiler. But why don't we hear a clip and then we can talk more about it. Absolutely. Mustang Sally. doesn't get maybe quite as much credit as he could for his vocals mm-hmm. uh, which are really like this is a this is a born storyteller I think and uh, I didn't really I think I had not appreciated um, like I had always appreciated the overall build of Wilson Pickett songs but like his his specific vocalizations I think really bring more than I had realized Um but I, it still didn't quite get over for me. What were your thoughts about it? Well, yesterday I sent you a message on Slack where I said simply, I don't want to alarm you, but I don't think Mustang Sally is actually about a car. <laughs> I and think I, my response was, what? Yes, it was. So I know this might be hard to hear, listeners, but I, I think there is some coded sexual messaging in Mustang Sally. I'm just going to throw that just out there. In the a, just in a couple places. Like yeah, maybe just one or when two. When music is playing. Yeah. And any sounds are being made whatsoever. <laughs> uh, exactly. If we were doing a countdown of sexiest songs or we were doing a countdown of sexiest songs that will always put me in a better mood, this would be way up high. But like you said, for the purposes we have today... I ended up putting this in sixth, but spiritually speaking, it was in my top five and then it wasn't and then it was and then it wasn't. It's the only well, obviously it kept swapping places with Mary Mary, actually. And uh, finally, for me, though, I decided, no, I don't know that I would ever meet a Sally and say, ride, Sally, ride, because I would be afraid I would get slapped. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's a big part of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this song is so good, and I was so happy to hear it again. And like you said, yeah. Wilson Pickett's vocals are so sophisticated. You're right. Like The build and also the use of ad-libs and the way that he affects the screaming at certain places, He he's doing everything for a reason. Even if he's not mapping out the, the shape of the song on a piece of paper, there's a sense of purpose in all of his uh, choices and it makes you feel like you're in the hands of a master craftsperson mm-hmm. and it makes me enjoy it so much because you can hear him I think 
winking at you through the song to be like, yeah, I know exactly what's happening. I'm in total control. You can just enjoy yourself. And I got you. And I love that. Yeah. But it's not too, like, given the content lyrically of the song, you don't want to be too winky or it starts to be like Mae Westy and not sexy. And he right. clearly knows that and controls controls the amount of, like, entendration yes. that yeah. he's doing. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great song. It's a classic for a reason. But for our purposes, just missed the cut for me. And the patrons did not put it through either. So that is mm. uh, yet another zero here on today's countdown. All right. Now, I'm very curious to know your thoughts about our next song, which is The Knack's My Sharona. Well, let me tell you a little story about uh, my boss at the pizza place where I used to work in college as a delivery liaison, as a pizza home liaison. <laughs> um He was a former Marine who sometimes would threaten us with um, getting et by his monitor lizard, Joe, um, when when we were not uh, hopping to it with pizza box folding. Um, His name was John DeBona, and uh, (laughs) you'd better believe that whenever he was out of earshot... (laughs) John DeBona! Like, I have re-scanned this shit. Uh, for just about every possible name. Um, people named Sharon, people whose last names are Debona, boyfriends, actual erections, such and so's boner. But I mean, I I have mental problems, but with that said, this song, I think it's pretty easy to dismiss this song for only being this. But I think it is iconically tied to the name. I think it is a banger. That bridge is such chair dancing fun. I'm actually relieved that you didn't pull a clip because I'd just be fucking flailing around um, <laughs> when that came on. Uh, like, I understand that I have problems, <laughs> but I really think that this is an extraordinary example of the song being a classic in its own right, but also that if you ever met a Sharona or anyone whose name even came close to that scansion, y- you would think of this song. And certainly when I'm watching a Monk rerun and it's a Sharona episode, it's going through my head. So it wasn't at the very top of my list, but I did pass it through. I am interested to hear if um, others in the electorate have the same psychological challenges that I do when it comes to voting for these things. What did you do? Well, I I will say first that this song is awesome and it's so funny to me to read about the controversies that surrounded it when it was Mm -hmm. released. The, the lyric about the something or other running down his thigh. Like, yes, he's talking about the boner he gets when he looks at Sharona Uh who is an actual person and is on the cover of the single. Um, And there's also, there was some outrage about the fact that in the pre-chorus, he talks about liking the pretty little ones or the pretty young ones or whatever, basically implying he was lusting after an underage girl. And yes, yes, and yet something about the song obliterates all of my concerns about that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's just too catchy, damn it. 
Yeah. And uh, it's, this- I mean, have I sung it about a long ago volcanic eruption? Krakatoa? Sure. Yes. I mean, look, it has that much power. That's all I'm saying. Um, if your favorite Girl Scout cookie is so someone is trying to take your favorite Girl Scout cookie, you could go, that's my, 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 my Samoa. Yeah. <laughs> you could. You wouldn't have to. You're not required to, but you could. Yeah. And I think they actually renamed it because of cultural appropriation concerns. So, but oh, I no, really? Yeah. What's I it think called now? Wheels now. Oh, well, not in my heart. That is always a Samoa. Yeah, same. Um, also, it's interesting that this song is considered the bulldozer that pushed disco off the charts. Huh. Oh, yeah. It was in the late 70s. It was number one for six weeks, and it was the first pure rock song that had been number one for quite some time. And it uh-huh. basically, in in certain ways, it does signal the end of the disco dominance era other disco-esque songs reached the number one spot after this song but kind of in the way that uh when the nirvana album nevermind hit number one on the billboard 200 people saw that as the uh cultural shift that's what this song was in the late 70s right all of that being said that's none of why we're here today uh no it's not and i We'll let you know first that the patrons agree with you. So they also passed it through. But for me, Sharona is such an unusual name. Yeah. And I have realized that for myself, I am looking for songs that are tied to names that are at least somewhat likely to appear in the wild. And I've never seen. Well, you're not from Jersey, so (laughs) like Uh, where I live, they might like Bay Ridge. There are Sharoni, but generally speaking, you're absolutely right. But in my subjective experience of my 40 some odd years on this planet, I've never met anyone named Sharona and I've never seen Monk. So I don't know the character. So I did not pass the song through. And you know what? I accept that. I will be the lone voice of dissent on this particular opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure how much further it's going, but like I said, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my top two, as we now know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a good song. And I'm glad we got to talk about some, you know, chart facts and pop music history in there as well. Because this song is just, for it for a one-hit wonder band, they really did release one of the most significant hits of the seventies. And, uh, that's, I always like it when a one hit wonder sneaks up on you like that. Yeah. John DeBona. Don't kill me. Also, isn't this the song where they're bugging out at the gas station in reality bites? Well, I was just about to say who can forget the scene in reality bites when they're at the convenience store. Yes, yes, yes. it is. Like I will always think of them bopping around grabbing snacks because that was that was one of those scenes where i was in high school watching this movie and thinking that's what it will be like (laughs) yeah i mean and it's not not like that just sometimes you got to make your own fun i mean i got a whole convenience store in connecticut dancing to dua lipa one time so oh shit yes girl yeah, we were all levitating. It was like, you know you want to. I mean, come on. They were staring at me. Mood. I was like, really? You're going to act like you're better than this? You're not. The song commands you. And then yeah. it happened. Shake it, sugar boo. Here come those hand claps. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, so speaking of songs that we like, I don't know actually what you think about this song, Sarah, but for me, Steve Perry's Oh Sherry is a fucking classic. I love it so much. This is Steve Perry's first solo single, not released with Journey, just a Steve Perry solo. He was still in Journey, though. Yes, but he's a lot of Journey personnel on it. I have more trivia about that in a moment. Oh, please. Yes, I'm I'm excited. And you could easily mistake this for a Journey song, but it is not. But what you also, no matter who you think sings it, surely in your soul, maybe not. But for me, in my soul, I know this is a fucking banger of a power ballad. I love it so much. It peaked at number three in the United States, which feels a little low to me. It does. Like... How how much more anthemic can a chorus be? Is what I will ask you. Bef- I haven't heard it. I hadn't heard it in years, and I was like, "Why haven't I heard this in years?" Like I knew every single note. I knew every little wah wah wah. Like this was ubiquitous. I skated to this many times. I am shocked that it only hit number three. Was it up against some Michael Jackson shit or something? Is that why? In a sign of just what a great year for pop music 1984 was, the week that O'Sherry peaked at number three, the number two song was Let's Hear It For The Boy by Denise Williams. Oh, yep, sure. And the number one song was fucking Time After Time. Oh, uh-huh. But yeah. check this shit out. Number four that week was The Reflex by Duran Duran. Uh-huh. Number oh, five was song. Number five was fucking Sister Christian by Night Ranger. Oh. Wow. Number six was The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, shit. Yeah. Number seven on the ballad tip was Hello by Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. Number eight, the one song that really hasn't hung on, Breakdance by Irene Cara. But then... Yeah, I couldn't pick that out of a lineup. You're right. But then number nine was Self-Control by Laura Branigan. I sure. am haunted by the shadows of the night. of the no- night. Oh, number, sure. Number 10. I'm just going to go through the top 12. Number 10, Jump for My Love by the Pointer Sisters. Uh-huh. Number 11, Borderline by Madonna. There she is. And number 12, Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now by oh. Phil Collins. Oh, my God. That is an all-killer, no-filler top 12 in 1984. Yeah. And Steve Perry, you definitely belong in that list, but I think you cannot feel bad that you didn't hit number one in that company. No. No. I agree. Oh, um, shit. We have a clip, so let's hear why. Yeah. God, Sarah, it's so good. I have like a deep Pavlovian response to this song. I love it so much. Yeah, I I mean, I learned while researching this that uh, Bill Cuomo, who does the keyboard riff on this song, is also responsible for the iconic keyboard work on your friend and mine, Betty Davis Eyes from Kim Carnes slash an earlier episode of this and other seasons. <laughs> is he the patron I, saint of this whole season? I know. Yeah. Maybe Yvonne Elliman better 
watch her watch her six. She might be getting replaced as a patron saint <laughs> of this podcast. I I just think it's like it's utterly of its time, but in like even in the ways that it's dated, it's extremely charming and evocative. And that vocal is such a such a time from 40 years ago. Like Journey. Oh my God. And yeah. this is absolutely um, this was not all that close. This was waved through for me, obviously, because you can hack it to any number of names that rhyme, and there are a bunch. Uh, and it's just, it's an all-time great song. So, yeah, it was a no-brainer for me. What did the patrons do? The patrons also waved it through. And Ew. I certainly waved it through as well. That's a straight six. And I want to take you back in time to 2008 when I was reviewing musicals and plays for Variety Magazine here in New York City. And I went and reviewed a then unknown off-Broadway musical called Rock of Ages, which was not Mm. yet a Broadway sensation, had not yet been adapted into a subpar film. Uh, It was a property that no one knew. And I walked into it thinking it was going to suck because it was going to just use a bunch of 80s songs and shoehorn them into some dumb story. But then lo and behold, it didn't suck. It was, in fact, fabulous. And the first line of my review for Variety was Rock of Ages really should suck. And they ended up using that on the poster outside the theater. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. But uh. One of the things that made me fall in love with that show was the fact that they named the female lead Sherry uh-huh. and they kept tipping their hand to the fact that they knew that we knew why they had named her Sherry. Mm-hmm. And then at the very last minute, when you think they aren't going to do it, they finally get to singing Oh Sherry. And you could just feel the audience being like, yes. <laughs> and it was just i will always associate that moment with this song and to me it just underscores the fact that if your name is sherry we all know what's coming therefore yes no question passing it through yeah sherry barry carrie mary yeah (laughs) i mean larry yeah anything so good Mm mm-hmm Now, I think that I might be the cheese that stands alone on our next selection. Uh, Well, because you've already selected your five songs. I know for a fact that I am. So uh, I did pass through Peggy Sue by Buddy Holly and the Crickets because I just think that it's a great song. But also that sort of my Peggy Sue, I just... I just think that it, it, it the, the thing about the song that I remember the most is the way he sings the name and Peggy is a name that's pretty familiar to me. So as I was sort of casting around thinking about my criteria, I decided, you know what, buddy? Yes. Thumbs up to you. Um, I honor your, I honor your process. Um, you are the cheese that stands alone on that on both counts i don't care for the song i feel like buddy holly is one of those artists who was seminal but has not traveled especially well at least for me i am a little more tolerant of um 50s shit than most people my age but this stuff just feels kind of basic and 
Like, what are we doing here? I mean, this is sort of the sine qua non, along with Chuck Berry and some others, of pop music as we understand it today. Of course, I acknowledge the contribution, blah, blah, blah. I just don't. This isn't my favorite Buddy Holly song. I know a lot of Peggy's who are my mother's age. Doesn't doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't come to mind. It wasn't last for me, but I just think it's not quite... I think this might have aged out of this demo a little bit mm, mm-hmm. for some people, but yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, spare a vote for this one. Did the, did the patrons agree with you or with me? They agreed with you. That's two points only for Peggy Sue. You know, what's now, interesting I- is that like, as far as Buddy Holly goes, I feel like maybe we should have put that Weezer song in Hopper, <laughs> with Buddy Holly and Mary Tyler Moore because I yes. feel like that I have a stronger association with that qua Buddy Holly than with than with this. Anyway, I just want to add uh, two things. One, there is a video that exists of me from at this point almost fifteen years ago playing a round of Celebrity with Andrew, my husband, as well as Dave Cole and Tara Ariano at my apartment in Brooklyn. And Sarah, I can't remember if you were there for this night or not. But maybe you weren't, actually. I don't remember. But uh, I had Buddy Holly in the one-word round of Celebrity, and I thought, I'll just say Crickets, because that was the name of his band, and everyone (laughs) will get it. And no one got it. So then I started singing Crickets to what I thought, in my haste and anxiety, was the tune of Peggy Sue, but instead was the tune of Little Shop. Little shop of horrors. So I was like, oh, no. cricket, crick, cricket, cricket, crickets. And it just goes down in flames. But the video is very funny. And Dave posted that video, I think, on Facebook at the time. And Pam Ribbon saw that video and to this day still calls me crickets. <laughs> I think I was there, but I was not on your team and unable to help you. <laughs> it was just a, it was just a disaster. I remember that video because I re- even remember the sweater I was wearing because it was just so it was amazing. Um, and then I just want to add with regard to artists from the 50s that we respect but will not be listening to. That is how I feel about the Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. I yep. do not like the sound of their voices. I do not like it. I find their voices yeah. almost unbearable. But do I acknowledge that they laid the groundwork for a lot of the rock music that we still enjoy today? Yes, go with God, but I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Okay, well, settled. Now, <laughs> how do you feel, Sarah, about Proud Mary? Well, this is where all the Mary songs really start to split the vote. And we're now in like a multi-party parliamentary metaphor that um, is a little weird, but possibly workable for our purposes. Like this is the, you know, this is the life we have chosen. Um, We don't have a clip for Proud Mary, I assume, because you felt like we would not need one. That's correct. I concur. Um, I hadn't really re-listened to this song. Um at least not the way that we listen to songs for this podcast in a while, uh, because it just has become this staple of classic rock radio and has been one for 40 years, probably in both its iterations. I admit to marginally preferring the credence version of this song, but then I wound up down a rabbit hole of Ike and Tina 
materials from this album that they that their proud mary was on and uh, i recommend it but it didn't go through for me because if i meet a mary as previously stated um inquiries as to the buggin and its origins will will <laughs> will um occur versus <laughs> versus asking whether she's proud of herself and um whether she will keep on turning so this didn't go through for me but it was actually a pleasure to dig into this song that again has been i think because it has been considered a classic by two different sort of titans of that you know fm band right right uh, for so long that it has become almost this abstracted background noise yes for for not just me i'm sure so it was a pleasure to dig into it again but i don't consider it iconic for this name according to our purposes what i can i completely agree but i i will say that my mind wandered as i was thinking about a research paper that you could write called an inquisition into the origin of of the buggin or the (laughs) an inquisition into the origin of your buggin buggin whence (laughs) whence cometh Thy buggin. Yes. <laughs> Mary colon a, a, an interrogation of buggin. Or or perhaps we could update the Christmas song. Mary, did you know why you're buggin? While I'm building a uh, biblio of that, why don't you tell us how this fared with uh, other voters? As I'm trying <laughs> to get Pentatonix to record an earnest uh, acapella version of the, <laughs> the bug-in version of Mary, did you know? I will tell you that nobody asked this song through. I think probably for all of the reasons that you just so helpfully espoused. So that is a goose egg for Proud Mary. Sorry, y'all. But yeah. not so sorry, because you still get to be you, Proud Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we do have a clip for the final song, which is Fleetwood Mac's Rhiannon, a song that reached number 11 uh, and is solely written by Ms. Stevie Nicks, who I'd like to note is one of the few artists to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, both as a solo artist and as the member of a group. Uh, uh-huh. So here's a little clip from the ethereal Rhiannon. I never get sick of this song. It was dead last in this group for me, <laughs> but I, I never get sick of it. And here's, here's why I didn't pass it through. I think that the song made the name iconic because of like it, the song made the name iconic, right? Like mm-hmm. it created mm-hmm. its own myth and yep. then attached the iconography to it versus a pre-existing, like not that the name didn't pre-exist, obviously, but are people named Rhiannon? Sure. Is it because of this song? Probably. Like, yes. <laughs> that's that's the difference. Like, I don't think that, 
like Rhiannon's might be sick of having this sung to them, but that's why they were named Rhiannon, in my opinion. Um, so that sort of um, subverting of the order of the becoming an icon means that it doesn't qualify, if that makes any sense. Like, salute to its power um, culturally, but that for that reason, no. Not only do I completely understand what you mean, that is almost word for word what I was going to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. If I meet you and you're named Rhiannon, I know that Stevie Nicks is the reason you got that name. Yeah. And that's, the, again, that's, yeah, that's not our That's not our. You were reasoning conceived here. during a tour. Yes, totally. And, like, if, if you're younger and your name is Adia, for whatever reason, it's because Sarah McLaughlin had a song called Adia, right? There are just some names that only exist in the consciousness. It's like if your name is Katniss, it's not because you, the, your mother's name was also Katniss. It's because your mother liked the book The Hunger Games. Like, Right. You know what I mean? Or if your name is Khaleesi, it's not because your great aunt Khaleesi came over on the ship. No. Right. It's because your mom and dad liked Game of Thrones and didn't know yet how the show ended. Um, and if your name is either Tallulah or Atticus, it means that your parents are hashtag actor bullshit. Am I right? Because <laughs> there's so many Attici in the world and their parents are all actors, all actors. That's that's actually precisely right. Or I or or in indie bands. I feel like it might go either way. Mm, yes. Yes. Although you are correct. If you're in a band, you probably named your child Arrow. Oh God. <laughs> or Jax with an X. Yes. Oh my God. Or Simone with an X I M O N E. Anyway. <laughs> I will say, I just need to read you this little snippet of information I found out about the background of this song. Cause it is the most perfectly Stevie Nicks thing. And I just, I, it just brings me such joy. According to Wikipedia, Nicks discovered the Rhiannon character in the early 1970s called through a novel called Triad by Mary Bartlett Leader. The novel is about a woman named Bronwyn who is possessed by a witch named Rhiannon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, Stevie Nicks. I do believe that is how you thought about this. It absolutely tracks. God bless and keep you. Yep. This, um, this is what happens when you're up all night in Wales, <laughs> coming down off some rails, and you got nothing else to read. Less. <laughs> up in Wales, down off rails. Mm-hmm. Stevie, Stevie, why you bugging? <laughs> Lindsay Buckingham is why. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> oh my god. So what is our what is our final outcome for episode three? Who's moving what? on? I should add that the patrons did wave this song through, so it did get two what? points. Guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> get up on the, up in Wales, down off rails. Why are you bugging? Anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is uh, interesting because you're not part of any twosie this week. You are... Hmm. You were really the the thought leader for episode three. Okay. The cheese had friends this time. Great. That's right. So it's actually a very easy uh, outcome this week because there are five songs that got four or six points. There are, in fact, three songs that got six points and two songs that got four points. They are the clear winners of this round. So our four pointers were My Sharona and 
Mary Mary, why you buggin'? Uh-huh. And our six pointers were Mandy, Mickey, and O'Sherry. Oh, that's excellent work all around. Honestly, I mean, these I don't are... get the Rhiannon thing, but it's a great song and I I will let it go. Yeah, because because it's it's not moving on. So you know what? We honor your votes, patrons. Well, I do. I don't know if Sarah does, but you know, I'll let her speak to that. But <laughs> no, uh, I mean, honor's a little strong. <laughs> Tolerate. <laughs> Just kidding. I do guys. think that the I do think the five songs that have ended up on the list are the correct five songs from this group, and I'm excited to see O'Sherry tussle again because that means I get an excuse to listen to it again, and that makes me happy. Yes. Me too. Um, all right. Well, that's it for us this week. But next week, oh, my God. Like, it's been tough so far. But next week contains not just Sarah, but the f- three songs that Mark and I and our respective husbands all picked to go the absolute distance and be the number one overall for the season. So... Uh, when I tell you that my struggle was real, my struggle was real. I hope that you'll be along for that roller coaster next week, episode four, same bat time, same bat channel. So basically, when we ask why are you bugging, you're like because season because episode four has so many fucking heavyweight songs in it. Yes, <laughs> that that is why, and um, the bugging it will continue. Until morale improves. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me. And edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastess, where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.